Well, so good to have you here with us this morning. Thank you for joining us from wherever you are tuning in. A couple of things as I begin this morning. Uh, firstly, for those of us that, could, uh, that joined on Friday for Helen Newcomb's funeral, um, it was a great time to be together, to mourn the loss of her life and also to celebrate her life. She was part of our community and I uh, just want to extend my, my care again to the Rawlings family as they share the loss, and we do, of Helen's life with us. I believe she is in a much better place, free from adversity right now. Second thing is that what's coming up post-alpha time, uh, I'm going to be running a explore group. This is six studies on the person of Jesus that shapes our understanding around who he is and the transformative way he can be involved in your life. And if you would like to participate in that series, it's coming up. But if you have someone who is exploring who Jesus is or perhaps that is unfamiliar to them, then I would invite you to invite them as well because that would be for them. However, that being said, this Thursday night, so that's this Thursday night, what I'd love to do is share with you some of the material and insight I gained whilst being away over in Scotland. And so I'm going to take an hour and a half on Thursday for those who would like to tune in and I'm going to frame it like this. Uh, what did Jesus mean when he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many? That's what I'm going to be tackling. That's what I'm going to be talking about this coming Thursday. More details to come in the weekly update. All right, I'm going to put my COVID coach cap on right now. And uh, right in front of you, there's a screen with uh, five things that I reckon that would help get us through the next two weeks and maybe just a little bit beyond. So if I could just put my COVID coach hat on for a moment, here they go. Firstly, to survive the time with COVID, we need to drink more water, breathe deeper, exercise to exhaustion, stay connected and reach out to those around about you and also draw close to God. You know, we need to have good, healthy habits and cultivating practices in our life. And so these are they are. When I put them back up again, thanks, Joel, I'll get you to flick them there. So we need to drink more water. Um, we need to breathe deeper because we can breathe a whole lot shallow. We need to exercise to exhaustion. Make sure you get out there for that hour each day. And uh, the fourth one is I want you to stay connected. And if this is difficult for you or if you know someone in need, I want you to reach out to them. And lastly, draw close to God um, as a part of all of us getting together and cultivating um, a, a life that's going to get us through this COVID space. And someone said to me, and probably eating less Tim Tams for breakfast. So if that's for you, maybe include that one as well. Okay, we're starting a series this week today called Fully Human, Cultivating a Life After Jesus, the Fully Human One. And we're going to be talking about, really, this is addressing a life of change, of renewal, of inner shaping. I wonder if you've ever asked yourself, what does a truly good person look like? Or, who is a truly good person? And secondly, if they're truly good, how do I actually become like them? I remember some years ago when I was training to go into pastoral work in ministry. I was with a cohort of people and we had a great group. There was one particular person in that group who um, was a real high achiever and he was a friend. And I remember a season in my life with him in which I began to develop, if you like, just a bad attitude towards him. Maybe it was just that I was jealous of him a little or envious of the way in which 
He was living his life and achieving things. But I remember preparing for a talk, part of my training, the church I was involved in. And as that talk grew closer, I had this nagging little pressing thought in my head. Troy, before you talk, you need to fix that bad attitude up. Well, I remember resisting that for days and weeks until the day drew and I was going to be talking the very next day. And it was excruciating. So what I ended up doing was getting on the phone, calling him out of the blue and just saying, hey, mate, I just need to say sorry about some things that you're completely unaware of. And I just need your forgiveness. You see, I've shaped a bad attitude towards you. I've been carrying this envy and this sort of jealousy in me, and I just need to get rid of it. He was very gracious. He forgave me, said, how can we work on things even to reduce that in in going forward in our friendship? But I remember at the time wondering to myself, does the inner life of renewal get easier? And how does that actually happen and take place in our lives that those moments are fewer and far between? I'd like to say to you that over the years since that time that I've never had any jealous thoughts, never had any fallen into any comparison traps, but that wouldn't quite be true. I remember another time when I was on the football field and I was being absolutely torn apart by my opponent. And I was so angry about that, the humiliation of it all, that I remember standing on the sideline. Actually, I wasn't on the sideline, I was on the wing. And the two of us were bumping into each other. The, this was way off the ball. The ball was over on the other side of the field. And we were bumping into each other. And I remember afterwards, after cooling off a little bit and going, that was not one of my finer moments. I'd like to say that over the years that uh, those moments have become fewer and far between. In fact, that they've been totally eliminated, but I wouldn't be telling you the truth. Hopefully there's been less of those times, but it raises the question for me. How does the life of inner renewal and change actually happen? Maybe you're here today and you have a sharp tongue. You have the ability to slice and dice people with the quickening of your tongue that reduces them so very quickly. Or perhaps you're someone who gets caught up in the emotions of life and you drag other people with you. Your life can be like a a roller coaster of emotions. And you know it's not healthy. Maybe you carry the air of superiority. No one else quite knows the world like you do. And as a result of that, you're unteachable because you think that you know it all. And so you carry that air about you. Or maybe you're the kind of person that whenever something goes wrong, you quickly turn those thoughts inwardly to yourself and you have a a criticizing, judgmental sort of attitude towards yourself that is very unforgiving. Well, how do we change those things? What's the process of change in a person's life so that those particular habits and patterns and behaviors are diminished they become less that's what we're going to be talking about over these coming weeks and the ancients believed and understood that the whole life of inner renewal began on the inside with the heart you see the ancient hebrew writers when they thought about the the life on the inside, they described it as a heart. They didn't actually have the understanding of the mind that we do today. In fact, there was no word, Hebrew word for mind. In fact, it was just this idea that the inner life was cultivated and they named it the heart. It was the seat of intellectual activity 
And it was also the place in which your desires sort of came from and exuded from. If you like, on the inner side, the heart had a willer and a wanter. And that that heart didn't always have the right heart towards you. In fact, sometimes its will didn't always want the right things for you. In fact, your heart, your inner life could cultivate a life on the outside that was destructive or it could actually cultivate a life on the inside that the outside led to life. And so when the ancients thought about it, they understood that the outer life was shaped by the inner one, the heart. In fact, the prophets, the followers, the people who spoke for God would often come to God's people and say, the problem that we have while we keep on wandering away from God, while we keep on embracing destructive ways, while we don't reflect his particular life and character through us, his mercy and his justice and his love is because we have hard hearts and they need to be softened. So they looked to a day in which God would soften the human heart. The writers said these words. They said, guard your hearts above all else for it determines the course of your life. They understood that the heart needed guarding. It needed renewing. It needed transforming. Jesus picked up on this idea and he said these words. You make a tree good and its fruit will be good or you make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit. I anticipate that Jesus understood this and he knew that the inner life, if you like, needed to be renewed so that the outer life showed. In fact, when someone comes to know Jesus... It's as if his very presence comes into their life. He pours his spirit inside of them and he renews the human heart. If you like, the outer life of cultivation begins with an inner heart that's actually renewed and transformed. It's it's like this this idea of, of a car that's been driving along and it needs a new engine. When someone comes to actually know Jesus, they surrender their life to him. It's as though he takes out the old engine and he drops in the new one, his very presence, his life, his spirit. And it's from that spirit that, if you like, a transformed heart that his fruit and his life begins to emanate. The only problem, though, is that just because you have a new engine that's dropped into the car doesn't mean that you automatically know how to drive straight. And so the whole life with Jesus then cultivated from the inside out is one in which you are learning to steer the wheel of the car towards the very life and the course of heaven where God dwells and who he is as a person, the fully human one. If you like, Jesus understood that the whole life with him actually began from the inside out. The inner life of renewal emanating to the outer life. But that that inner life that heart didn't just automatically produce all the kind of fruit that was needed. In fact, that that inner life needed to also to be cultivated. If you like, this whole idea of sinking our roots down into God becomes a critical aspect of what it means to embrace a fully human life after Jesus. You see, one of the writers in the Bible says this, when you come to know Jesus, you've stripped off the old human nature, complete with its patterns of behaviors and its thoughts and its thinking, the old ways of thinking, and you've put on a new one, which has been renewed, but also needs to be renewed in the very image of its creator. 
See, when the first followers of Jesus were looking at him, they saw in him someone who they believed was the epitome of the reflection of God living and dwelling in human flesh. He was the one who perfectly radiated the very image and the very character and the very nature of God himself. To look at Jesus, they concluded, was to actually see God in human flesh. They concluded about him that in him was life and that this life was the light of all humankind. If you like, a heart renewed from the inside out, if it wanted to continue to be transformed, it needed to be cultivated after and have a life whose roots were sunk down into the very person of Jesus. So we have this image and this picture of the heart and its roots being sunk down into a source of life and power. Jesus said these words, If you remain in me, I will remain in you. For a branch cannot just produce fruit all by itself, it is if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. I guess what Jesus was trying to say was that if you remain close to me, my life will become alive in you such that it will begin to flow from the inside out. The only problem though is that old habits die hard. Old thought patterns are not that easy to change. And I know that. See, when I was growing up in the argy-bargy of school, I developed this little mantra. If someone didn't like me, I would say, well, I don't care if they don't like me, but I'll make them respect me. And so I would reach out to ways that I could, if you like, gain their respect, whether it be in sporting endeavours or whatever it was. The problem with that, though, is that you outsource your life to other people or other situations according to what they think of you becomes how you can so easily think of yourself. (laughs) I don't care what they, they don't like me, I'll make them respect me. The problem with that is that it's a lie. You see, the truth was, I did want them to like me. And then I bumped into this person, Jesus, and he began to open up my life. And in the latter part of my teens, my early 20s, if you like, I began to discover that that he loved me for who I was. I didn't have to earn his love. I didn't have to outsource it to anyone else. In fact, I just needed to connect into it because his love was towards me and for me. There was nothing I could do that could make, me, uh, make him love me more and there was nothing I could do that would make him love me less. But that old way of thinking, that old way of, if you like, that old mantra is really hard sometimes to actually to just dismiss. I remember sitting in a counselling course when I was preparing in my studies to become a pastor, in an excruciating moment when, it, when the, the, the teacher of the class said, what we want to do is we just want to have volunteers. Someone jump in the chair, and uh, whoever jumps in the chair will just do some free counselling. Well, fool me. I remember jumping in that chair <laughs> and them starting to probe questions at me that had to do with the way in which God saw me. And I realized in that very moment how hard and difficult it was for me to say anything about myself that I thought that was worthy of God's love or that how he felt towards me. And I was convinced if I said that, that other people would actually 
point their fingers at me and criticize me. That's how profound and powerful it was. You see, part of renewing of the inner life is sometimes grabbing hold of truths and the way in which God sees you and allowing them to be so absorbed in your inner being that begin to change your thinking. Old habits are put aside. Old ways of thinking and truths, lies have to die and new things have to be put in their place. I suppose what I'm trying to say is that once your heart is renewed by Jesus, it constantly needs renewing. And to do that, it requires us to sink our roots down into him routinely so that his life and his way of seeing us becomes second nature. once heard of an old man who was sitting in an old chapel and a student came in and said to him, what are you doing? You see, he was thumbing through his Bible. And his quick response to them was, I'm reprogramming my mind. I guess what he was trying to say is that the outer life doesn't always just happen because the inner life needs to be cultivated routinely. I think that's what spiritual habits and practices are all about, is drawing close to the source of life, putting my hands up against the fire so that that warmth starts to radiate in me. And in me it comes out of, but it starts there. I know in my early 20s, I began to set aside time where I would begin to cultivate a conversation with Jesus. After knowing him and coming to place your trust in him, I think cultivating a life with Jesus and a conversation with him is the second most important thing that a human being can do. Why? Because the closer proximity you have to Jesus, what I discover is that the more his life begins to rub off on you. If you like, it's as though there's habits and practices that you form that begin to draw closer to the very divine nature of who God is such that his grace and his power and his energy begin to move in and through you. If you like, cultivating a life after Jesus, the fully human one, is an inside-out job, routinely. So let me ask you today, is the life you're cultivating producing the person that you want to become? Because after learning and discovering the process of inner renewal, I also realized that the outer life doesn't just happen. In fact, what I discover is that when I start to look at the fruit and the life of Jesus, it becomes apparent to me that there's particular behaviors and attitudes that no longer belong in his life, that are no longer part of the good life, the God life, the life-giving life. There's aspects in my own life that need pruning. How do I know what needs to be pruning? Well, there's two ways you can find that out. First one is that you can spend time with Jesus. The second one is... Just ask someone who knows you well. They can tell you without even a second glance. In fact, if some people at home are doing that right now, be careful. Because whilst you're looking at the other person, they're equally looking back at you. What I've discovered with the the life of God is that it doesn't just happen. Sinking my roots down into who he is and having a renewed heart where his life begins to emanate outside of me still requires my effort. 
That means that the divine life and his fruit doesn't just happen. It requires my energy and activity too. And that involves me identifying some things that I have to say no to and some things that I have to say yes to. It kind of looks a little bit like this. Jesus said, I'm the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. As I look back over my life, I realize there's some things as I've drawn close to Jesus that I need to prune. And I'm reminded of Peter's conversation with Jesus in a boat. One day they were out fishing and Jesus said, throw your nets in and you'll catch a huge catch. And Peter said, we've been out fishing all night, Jesus, but at your bidding, I'll throw in the nets. And he did. There were so many fish that swam into those nets that as I was heaving them in, after that moment, Peter had this kind of revelation, this insight to who Jesus was. It was as though that his person got to see the very power and the radiance of this life, this, this power that was in Jesus. And Peter's first initial response was, get away from me, Jesus, for I am a sinful man. It was as though that the closer that Peter got to understanding who Jesus was, it showed up the stuff in his own life that needed to come out. But Jesus' kind words to him were, no, Peter, come on, follow me. As I've looked back in the course of my own life, I realize there's things that have needed pruning. I come from the school of fix-it. There's an internal mechanism in me that thinks that I can just fix things. And over the years of pastoral work and life with people, I've realized that some of those intuitions need pruning. You see, there's some things I realize that just can't be fixed. There's some things that I can rush into quickly that can make things worse. How do you know which things need to be pruned in your own life? Well, you can either draw close to Jesus or realize that there's some things that you just keep on butting your head up against that need to be changed. And they usually impact the area of your relationships. So just look around yourself now and ask yourself, What's not working for me? What parts of my relationships do I keep on butting my head up against? Jesus can whisper to me about them, but sometimes I might become more aware of them than not. And with each of those moments, we're left with the decision of what will I do about it? It's one thing to have them identified. It's an entirely another thing to actually decide to do something about it. You see, I also come from the school internally that says, if someone says no to me, that just simply means I haven't explained myself well enough. <laughs> and over the years, I found that that can work sometimes, but other times when people say no, they actually really just mean no. What it's meant in my life, though, is that when I identify those things and butt my heads up against it, I've got a question to ask, do I actually want to do something about that? Because it requires my effort and it begins with the decision to change. You see, the whole pruning process isn't just involved in cutting fruit off. It's also involved in actually 
participating in new activities and behaviors that will cultivate the very life of God in us. So for me, at times, it's meant that I have need to reprogram my mind. And when I have a conversation with someone, it involves saying, if they say no, Troy, that often means that they just mean no. And to explain yourself more won't actually necessarily change their mind. See, the inner life, if you like, being renewed doesn't just happen. God's divine action and grace in my life requires my cooperation and effort. Identifying things that need to be pruned and then not just waiting for the time in which I feel like that'd be good to actually implement, but participating in activities and behaviors that reflect that change already. You see, if you want to become a generous person, you don't wait to become generous as though I'm feeling really great today, I'm going to start to redistribute some of my wealth and finance. You actually start the habit of practicing generosity. And what I discover over time is that those things become easier to do. Why? Because I'm bringing my life underneath the very life of God and his ways. And I'm forming and shaping habits that as I embrace them, are easier to embrace. So I call this last moment the COVID lights. I'm not sure about you, but over these last four weeks, we've all been drawn into far more proximity with each other. And that's meant sometimes we stand on each other's toes. In our household, I've discovered that Bron, she actually has a good thing in wanting to turn the lights off. And I've been in the habit of leaving the lights on. She explains to me that it wastes power, explains to me that they don't need to be on in other rooms particularly when I'm not in there. But the problem is, is that I'm such in the habit of leaving the lights on and not being mindful of energy and the finance and the cost involved in that is that I just walk out and there they are. Well, it comes to a time in which I have to decide, do I want to deal with the COVID lights or do I want to just keep on doing what I want to do? What I've discovered is this is the process of inner life and renewal begins on the inside out. And that if I want to produce fruit that's pleasing, not only to God but to others as well, even in my home, what it requires is a decision to say, that old way of thinking and living and behaving needs to be cut off. And a new way of participating in life needs to emerge. And so what I've discovered is, As I've been choosing to turn the lights off, it's easier to turn the lights off. I wonder. I wonder, is the person in the life that you're cultivating producing the person that you are wanting to become? You see, because the life of Jesus begins from the inside out. He said these words, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You see, we inhabit a world today that says, if you want to be happy, you need to satisfy all of your desires. And that if you deny any of your desires, you'll be damaging yourself. Well, Jesus begs to differ. He says, if you want to actually live the good life, the God life, 
the fully human life. Follow me. And that means sometimes learning a life of denial that says no to some things and yes to other things. And he says, as you participate in that way, under my energy and my grace to accomplish in my life, in your life, what you cannot do for yourself, well, my life will shine through in you and you will be set free. You won't be damaging yourself. You will be embodying a whole new way of being. So over the course of these next weeks, over the course of the next four Sundays, you're going to be hearing from people who are going to be describing how they have begun to embrace an inner life of change so that it shows on the outside. They're going to be talking about cultivating a life after Jesus from the inside out because he is the one who has life and gives life and is the one who is the fully human one that's available for you. We're going to listen to a song right now. It's such a good song. I said, let's play that one again. It's a good song because it pauses and allows us to consider where all of the inner life of change begins. And that begins in a loving relationship with Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. The life of following Jesus begins from the inside out. When we sink our roots into the person whose life is love and forgives and is gracious and is toward us. So as you listen to this song now, I'd invite you, perhaps close your eyes. Or maybe pause for a moment. And ask this question in a very practical way that would join with us over the next four weeks. Why don't you come on a journey of change with us? And the question is this. Who would I be if I weren't so... And you can fill in the gap. Jesus, who would I be if I weren't so? And perhaps hand that over to him and ask him that he would give you the willer and the wanter to change. Have a listen.